This episode is brought to you with the help from Powertech Fitness, a global leader in premier strength equipment celebrating over 20 years of being committed to stronger lives. Please visit them on Facebook, Instagram, or their website at www.powertech.com. Good morning, everyone. This is Brandon Matloff in Los Angeles. Welcome to the Stella Oak Mavens podcast, where we feature different mavens in different fields. A maven is an expert of an expert. They are the go-to person who you would want to ask all the questions to before making a decision. The purpose of our podcast is to help the consumer be more knowledgeable. Today, I'm really excited to host Lou Shapiro. Lou is a certified criminal law specialist with a concentration on white and blue collar criminal defense. He has represented his clients in a variety of cases, ranging from DUI offenses all the way down to money laundering. And after earning his law degree, he began his career working for the New York State Attorney General and then ultimately transitioned to other agencies over time before starting his practice as a criminal defense attorney. Shapiro is a member of the LA County Criminal Justice Executive Committee. Hey, Lou, we got to fix the name on that. And then uh, the California DUI Lawyer Association, among some others. Today, he will be sharing some of his wisdom on pursuing a career as an attorney and his experience as a DUI attorney. Welcome, Lou. You got it. Glad to be here. I didn't know I was a maven, but you know. I'm glad I found that out. Absolutely. So, you know, when I think of you, I think of um, all the social media stuff that you've created to really put yourself out there and create something that I don't think you see from many uh, criminal defense attorneys. So what inspired you to really get your business going on social media? You know, social media has really evolved over the last 10 years. Um, the way I originally uh, saw it was that it was a way to connect with many people in a fast way and not have to leave the, the comfort of your office or home. So I didn't, I didn't get involved in social media for a marketing uh, reason initially. I, and really to this day, it's not my primary reason why I do it. Um, but it has the unintended benefit of you know, these friendships uh, that I have made over the years in social media have blossomed into also, you know, business contacts, referrals, uh, and so forth. So benefits that way, uh, most of all. I think of attorneys generally just being in their office and they post ads on, you know, billboards and maybe some radio and and uh, every now and then just different different mainstreams. But you've obviously taken it to another level, and so maybe just talk about like how did you think to do that? What, like, where did the idea come from? I've always been uh, someone that enjoys uh, stirring up a conversation. I'm not afraid to bring up a controversial topic in a regular conversation. And I like to see how people think and react and exchange ideas. So bringing that to social media was a natural evolution of that. And it's what I'll do is I'll throw out something that has a law-based uh, issue underlying it, which has controversy, give a spin, and then just and allow everyone else to kind of feast on it. Uh, and that feasting and inter- interaction exchange between everyone else is what makes it as fun and enjoyable as it is. 
What's interesting about that is I would assume the same thing applies to when you meet a client for the first time, right? You're kind of coming at them with different angles because you really want to know as much as you can with their story so that you can ultimately defend them. Is that right? Exactly. It's important when you're dealing with uh, either clients, uh, prosecutors, judges, uh, and so forth, it's good to be knowledgeable in all arenas and be able to see other mindsets, other angles. And the more you practice uh, speaking with people from all backgrounds and engaging in that, those kinds of exchanges, the easier it is exactly to relate uh, in, in the law practice, in the courtroom. Nothing takes you by surprise because you're used to seeing it already online. That makes sense. So was there something about that that ultimately helped you transition from like being a, a public defender to to being a criminal defense attorney? Or what led you, you know, to the transition? Yeah, the, the social media didn't really play uh, as much of a role in that as one may think. Uh, really, that, that's just a, a fundamental question that every public defender has to have to answer after about five years in the office, which is, does the person want to be a life a lifer, as, as they say, or from there, I'll go out on their own and build a private criminal law practice. And for me, uh, I, I always wanted to, to have my own practice, to run my own shop, so to speak. Uh, watching on television, Bobby on the practice, or James Spader on Boston Legal, these are my inspirations. And, uh, and here I am doing that. So was there another mentor other than uh, online forum that, that got you really motivated to do this, or did you have some help along the way? In terms of the uh, going into the private practice route or the social media uh, I, would, I, I would say um, really going into your own private practice. Yeah, it was, I know it sounds cliche, but really it was television. <laughs> it was seeing you know, those, those closing arguments by these guys at night suits, uh, saving the day. I, I see them as, as heroes. Now, those were my Superman. When everyone else was watching action figure stuff, I was watching the lawyers in suits and being like, how is somebody with their charisma and intellect and know-how going to be able to wiggle their client out of the situation? That's what always intrigued me, and that's what drives me to the state to do what I do. So I can imagine when you started off, there was probably some roadblocks because you didn't have any clients yet. You weren't given any clients, right? Because you kind of started on your own. So how did you build up your practice? It's funny though, the first uh, office I set up had a the public defender's office thinking that it would, it would get me the most clients was across the street from Men's Central Jail. Uh, I opened up an office there and then I realized very quickly that anyone who did not have or know someone who had a car to pick them up from the jail when they were released from it after being arrested probably could not afford a lawyer either across the street. Because <laughs> uh, I was hoping for foot traffic, but that was not happening. Uh, the foot traffic I got was not the, uh, the best student for private practice. But it, it allowed me to practice my instinct skill uh, and you know, learn from every experience. So, so then I... So ultimately, what did you, so ultimately had it, so what, what was the, uh, the turning point, I guess you could say? The turning point was when I realized that the only way I'm going to get cases is by meeting with and getting to know other lawyers that don't do criminal law. And not just that, but referring them matters, showing them I can also help you and I want to help you. 
and the more I give, the more I see we get back. It's such a great um, attitude that you have towards your practice. I mean, it's not all about Lou, right? It's it's how can I help you, right? In this in a sense, I I love the fact that you know you're doing something a little bit differently because I would imagine that not every attorney in your space is trying to figure out different ways to connect them. So how are you referring? Because you know if you have criminal attorneys you're representing criminal uh, folks that you're representing, you're obviously not referring them to like a deal attorney or a family law matter, or, or are you? I am. I mean, a lot of my clients are white collar background individuals that are having a really bad day. So they're, they're doctors, lawyers, dentists, you know, for example, Medicare fraud, Medi-Cal fraud. Uh, these are people that are good practitioners, have family, but maybe they, they slipped or had an error in judgment or there's a misunderstanding by law enforcement on what they're doing. Uh, so very often I'm able to refer my clients or my clients' family members to other professionals. And they, you know, in my line of work as a criminal lawyer, people tend to get close to me, they trust me, we get to know one another because we're in a situation of, of, of you know, emergency. You know, they always say like when there's an emergency hit the town, you know, everybody gets to know each other. Well, that, that, that's how it works in my industry. So for that reason, I've become a trusted source for them. What, what makes you unique uh, when working with these individuals? Like if somebody has a, a criminal issue, whether it be white or blue collar, you know, why do they think a little? People are, are coming to me because they want a certain type of individualized, meticulous uh, and intelligible approach to their case. They're not looking to plead guilty when they come here. They're coming to me because they say, listen, either I messed up or there's a mistake here, but I don't, I need to solve my record or I can't have a felony. I can do a misdemeanor. They're coming to me too because they know that I'm not just going to walk into court and take whatever the DA is offering. That it's going to be a battle. It's going to be long, drawn out, thought out, worked on. Very last bit. That, that's the reputation I, I, I do my best to, to have. And unfortunately, it, it's received well by the local. I would think also being a public defender for a certain period of time would give you added insight into what the other side tends to see. Correct. Being a former public defender is instant credibility. Uh, and that's why when I meet with young lawyers out of law school, I tell them, listen, if you want to do criminal law, you've got to go to the public defender's office first. You have to get that experience, earn your stripes, break your teeth, because they give you thousands of cases to handle over the years. And then when you're in private practice, you know, the people, like you said, these clients will research that. They can smell it. They know it. They can tell if you've had that experience. They look on your website. They ask people because their liberty is at stake. So they're going to do that much research before they jump in. So if you could go back to that time where you were a public defender or even in law school or, or starting out even before you went to law school, is there anything you could think back to, to something you may have tried or done differently? Uh, you know, I, I think I, I did it. I'm not saying in a boastful way, but I, I think I did it right. You know, I, I didn't take any shortcuts. I tried whatever was handed to me. Uh, I dealt with clients in the public defender's office that were mentally ill, transient, very difficult to deal with clients. Uh, but I, I got through it because I knew that 
you know, this is all this is my duty to the client, no matter how difficult they are. This is this is my job to help them. And I knew that in the long run it would benefit me because every person I deal with, every case I have, no matter how challenging it is, it will only prepare me that much more for the next one ahead. Well, clearly you have you have passion around it. Um, this next session of the podcast, I always like to call it rapid fire. It's kind of some ways to think differently and, and how people can view you kind of in a different light in a sense. So I'm going to ask you a couple quick questions. Um, number one is share uh, the most influential book that you've read. I like the Malcolm Gladwell book, uh, The Tipping Point, because it, it got me to realize uh, that you know there, there are big changes that are happening for reasons that I never would have thought. So it was an eye-opening book, and I enjoyed it for that reason. What are uh, some of your hobbies outside of uh, practicing law? I love music. I was a wedding singer uh, in college and law school. And every so often, I look back at my closet, and there's that tuxedo hanging there saying, come on, Lou, one more one more Sinatra bit. Uh, so music and basketball, of course, I, was, I still play to this day uh, on street ball. I enjoy basketball. Odd question. Do you ever use any of your Sinatra skills to win you over a client? Yes, but I use it for the jury. Uh, in almost every closing argument, I use lyrics from songs to illustrate a point. For example, everybody plays the fool. There's no exception to the rule. It could happen to any of us. Sometimes if it's a self-defense case, I'll use the birds. Right? Every time there's time for peace, time for love. This, this was a time for war. We could we could do a whole podcast on this on this session. I'm I'm super excited to talk to you after it. Can't wait. Um, what's the best financial advice you've ever received? Oh, that taking on debt to go to school, graduate school, advancing education that is healthy debt. There is healthy debt and not healthy debt, and I think a lot of people don't really know that. You know, there's not all debt is bad. Certain debt you can take on because it's going to advance your future, and the banks are not going to hold that against you. They're going to look at that and be like, hey, I'm going to give a loan to this guy because this person went to law school or medical school and so forth. Debt is uh, oftentimes uh, misinterpreted uh, by how uh, the person who is having all the debt understands it, right? So if you're if you have credit card debt, consumer debt, mortgage debt, you're right. Some of that debt is not so bad. And some of it is a factor of not spending appropriately. And some of it is frankly, just something outside of what we can control. Uh, but you're right. If, if you can understand that some debts will further your education, then the risk is probably worth the reward on the end of the day. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with our, with our listeners, especially as I think about the young entrepreneurs that listen to the podcast and listen to the show and call up and have questions regarding you know, savings and debt, et cetera. Thanks for bringing that to our, bringing that up. Um, I wanted to know what your thoughts are on how clients should like interact with you. Like, is there questions that they should be asking you or is there things that, that you wish your client would ask you early on? I mean, fortunately I've been, do I've been doing this enough time where I'm able to, you know, anticipate or cover all the areas that need to be covered with the client. For example, what the what the expectations are from the beginning. You know, what do you expect to see out of this case? What do you want to happen? Uh, and that way, because ultimately that's what they're coming to me for, right? They they want to know what what is going to happen at the end, and I don't want them to think. 
Do you ever um, win? Do you sorry? Do you ever uh, think you're going to win a case? You don't win it, or you don't have the the outcome uh, that you expect. And then how how do you deliver the news, or how do you share the news with your with your client? Usually, it, it will already be. Uh, you won't hit me by surprise, right? You'll see a case that starts one way. You see it quickly taking a turn another way. And usually I can brace my clients and say, listen, here's, here's where I see things are going. I, this is, and, and I'm going to do my best to try to change that direction. But unfortunately, in light of X, Y, Z, this is what I see happening. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's the best I can give on it. All right. Well, before we part ways, is there any um, interesting stories or anything uh, unique on any of the cases that you've worked on that you think would be fun to share? Uh, you know, I'll tell you, it, one of the, the, the most, I think, uh, misunderstood uh, things about our reputation is that, you know, criminal lawyers, we, we don't care about the victims or we're willing to do whatever, uh, you know, we need to do to get our client off. And uh, I think that, that it's a misconception. I, I think it's good to kind of end on this positive note, which is that, you know, our, our job as a criminal lawyer is really we are what I like to say the last the last bastion of justice the last stop of justice uh, for that train because without without criminal lawyers it's the government the judges prosecutors police doing what whatever they think is right and without us there's no filter there's no one making sure that we proof beyond reasonable doubt is really being held to that standard, that people are being searched for no reason, right? that there's privacy, that there's rights, that people's lives and careers aren't destroyed based on false allegations. We are the protectors of society. So I think if people, and people sadly only come to that realization when they need a criminal lawyer, but I'm hoping that maybe through this podcast, through this, through this message that we're ending on that, they'll start to see or, or, or get that feeling from me that we're really doing good work. We're really doing humanitarian type work. We're doing the work that I think most people cannot stomach or do. And with that, I'll conclude. Well, th thank you, Lou. I really appreciate that. Um, uh, just final as we uh, as we close down here, um, is there a great way to contact you or your or your firm if a client um, or potential client wants to ask a question on or needs a help? or they want to use you guys for representation, what's the best way to uh, get in touch with you or your firm? Sure, lushapiro.com has my office contact info. Easy to reach that way. Awesome. Well, thank you, uh, Lou. I really appreciate your time today. This has been a Stella Oak Mavens podcast. We empower you, the listener, to take control of your life. Mm -hmm.